Think you know everything about sandblasting? Think again. In this episode of the Powder Coater Podcast, we start with the basics in sandblasting. Media. Garnet, waste slag, silica sand, aluminum oxide, and glass. Which one is best for you? Our guest has intensive knowledge about sandblasting, optimization, and equipment. We cover costs, efficiency, disposal, reclamation, and effectiveness from a multitude of media. We barely scratched the surface on this topic, but before he leaves, we get the secret formula to make sure you have the correct filtration ratio for your enclosed blast booth. We also talk about safety tips for the best ways to manage dust. Sit tight, because there's something for everyone in this episode. Get ready to level up your powder coater game. Welcome to Roscoat's Powder Coater Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Scott, and this is episode 14. Uh, this weekly podcast interviews influencers in the powder coating industry and covers trending topics so powder coaters can effectively learn and grow their businesses. If knowledge is power, then this guy represents one of the best resources on the planet for blasting. In fact, I can't believe I've just discovered his website and his company. And if he's as good as I think he is, I could see him being a regular guest on the show. Uh, today, we welcome Jeff Taylor from Blast One to the show. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Kim. So how long have you been in the blasting industry and uh, what do you do exactly? Take me through a typical day. Sure, sure. Uh, be glad to. I have been in the blasting and coating industry for over 15 years. Um, I joined Blast One in 2017. I was self-employed in the coating industry for 15 years and decided to uh, unload a little stress from being self-employed in, in uh, a, a contractor in California and Arizona. And uh, that move has, has been such a great move. Learned so much about the industry since joining uh, Blast One. Uh, a standard day would look like um, what what we do here. What we really enjoy is site support. We're we're like a very good consultant. We join contractors in multiple corrosion sectors, um, whether it's powder coating shops, um, pipeline guys, refineries, water tanks, bridges, dams, infrastructure. Uh, we go out on all these large projects and we help maximize uh, blasting surface preparation. So what drives you to do this? I mean, what, what do you get out of it? What do you enjoy the most? Uh, people places, industry? Well, quite a bit of all. I love, I love the travel. I love meeting new people and new contractors. It, I get a kick out of knowing what I did and how much I did wrong. And uh, I think every painter or, or sandblaster can relate to thinking they do things the best. I, there, I haven't met a painter that's not the best painter on the planet, but getting to meet all the different painters, seeing how they do things, and I've learned so much from that. So that's been probably one of the highlights of what I do. Yeah. So um, you're kind of more, are you West Coast based? That's where you kind of go, right? I can, I can take a step back and tell you about Blast One. And then I could tell you about my role within Blast One. I think that'd be a good starting point. So yeah, Blast One. So too. Great. So Blast One was founded in 1973 by Gar Gooden in Australia. It's a family-owned company. It's a privately held company. It's now a global company. Um, so we have offices throughout um, Australia, in New Zealand, um, Asia, uh, Malaysia, Singapore. Um, in North America, we have an office in Columbus, Ohio, and Los Angeles is the first branch um, outside of the corporate headquarters being in Columbus, Ohio. Mm -hmm. The West Coast uh, location is the location I work for and represent, and we look after the uh, seven westernmost states being Washington, Oregon, Arizona, Nevada, California, Utah. Sounds good. Okay. Um, so let's get into what I want to talk about today because I think it's a good starting point. And 
that's one of the things that I liked or why I wanted to bring last one, last one um, to the forefront is I found I'm a lover of content. I'm a lover of resources, especially when it comes to powder coating, because it, it can either be a lot or not at all. Uh, and so, and this is one of the reasons why we started the podcast in the first place is to kind of get a little bit more broader in, in exposure to where you can get information to help you grow your business. Um, and so when I landed on your site and I started looking through the content, uh, it was extraordinary. I mean, you've got pot, uh, blog posts, videos on YouTube. You've covered, uh, uh, not just that, but the site itself has, you can tell that you're not just all about sales, I guess. It's not just a straight up sales page. Hey, buy this compressor from us or, you know, it's more about just sharing knowledge so that you can educate your 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 customer, whether they're a customer or not, to to decide how to how to buy their equipment, how to uh, regulate their air, how to set up their systems, how to uh, pick the right media for the job. Is that correct? Yeah, that that's a great. Yeah, you picked up on it well. Um, we have so many resources at your fingertips just through our website. We offer primed insights that go out weekly. That's usually a 30 second to three minute video that we, we speak on specific points that people want to hear about, whether it's blasting, uh, mixing paint, ventilation, um, recovery systems. But we, we speak to the industry weekly with what we call primed insights. We also have so many technical references in our catalog and our website that you can go and learn how to choose the right size blasting nozzle, how to choose um, the right air compressor to meet the standard for your for your job and if you want to run one guy versus two guys versus four guys so we have a lot of resources um one thing that blast one does very well like you you alluded to is um although we are a sales driven company um we have we pride ourselves in having superior performance packaging along with know-how um the goodens have been are the, are the owners of blast one they have been doing this forever and and everyone who comes to work here goes through strenuous training so we can relate to our customers and always steer in the right direction. Yeah, I love that. And I hope that people listening to the podcast uh, can connect easily. Of course, we're going to put all the links today uh, that we talk about uh, in, in our episode so that you can easily link over to their site and just start perusing the incredible information that's coming out of it. Um, and you know, I, we use Garnet, um, just to kind of preface that we've been using Garnet. We started with full slag and then switched over. Um, of course, you know, being in Hawaii, we've got, um, more of an environmental concern, which was one of the reasons why we chose it. But also I think, and we'll drive a little deeper into this because what we're going to talk about today, because there's, it's just a huge topic uh, and we can't cover it all in just a short one episode uh, is we're going to start with just media and talking about the positives or pluses and minuses or pros and cons, and maybe just go over some of the, uh, we've got a little cheat sheet here that you and I are going to be working from where we can kind of just break it down in case they're uh, deciding on switching or they're working with this particular media they don't know much about. Um, you Is that a good way to start, I think? Sure. I'm sure. going to find my notes. Um, so uh, let's start with Garnet. Um, in terms of like productivity, consumption, and disposal, of course, how much dust does it cover? You know, does it get really dusty? Uh, what's the quality? And I think that that's where we ended up picking um, the garnets uh, is because it really likes the surface profile when it's done. Um, I We have seen other powder coaters either on their Instagrams or their uh, social media pro profiles and platforms where they have like this really extreme 
uh, surface blast, you know, and it can actually end up affecting the job. And maybe that's a good thing that you know coding because you can maybe speak to that. Um, is there the perfect media for powder coating or is it just depends on the person or the powder coater themselves? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I think what you alluded to was over profiling. If you have too coarse of a uh, surface profile, too many peaks and valleys, too yeah. deep, um, you can get what's called pinpoint um, corrosion and, and that causes premature failure. Most powder coaters want to be between a one and two anchor profile. And when you select your abrasive, you would select something accordingly that's strong enough or coarse enough, let's say, to remove if you have existing removal that will cut that coating. But then you also want to have the proper abrasive that's going to clean the steel and achieve the, the anchor profile and class of last you're looking for. And um, Garnet is a, is a great abrasive, um, especially if you're doing um, booth type blasting, which most powder coat shops are, mm -hmm. and you're looking mm -hmm. to maybe even recycle that abrasive, you would, uh, you would choose an alluvial garnet, like GMA has an alluvial garnet, which you can turn that, recycle that three to four to five times, and um, that would um, give you a better cost savings over the life cycle of that abrasive. Here's a message from today's sponsor. Do you know Chemical strippers from Benko Sales reduced our prep time by up to 80%. We chose Benko B17 and have been using it now for five years. We were surprised at how effortless it removed finishes from literally anything we put into it. Removal takes minutes, not hours. Several suppliers over the years have told us they have something as good as B17, but don't believe it. There's a reason the name B17 is universally applied for those claiming to have fast strippers. Buy it by name and available only by Benko Sales. B17 is the industry benchmark by which every other stripper is compared. Accept no substitute. Get started today by going to BenkoSales.com. B-E-N-C-O Sales.com. Yeah, I think that that's the reason why we ended up uh, switching out of the full slag. And, you know, cost-wise, it's, uh, I think, a little bit more for us. And, it, you know, I got to preface this because everybody knows that listens already to the podcast that we're in Hawaii and everything revolves around shipping. Um, so sure. aside from our problems with costing and stuff, I mean, um, when you said... If you could back up for just a second, you said a one to two, what is it? So um, normally what you see is a, an anchor profile is measured in the height and depth of the, of the peak and valley created when, you, okay. when you're propelling abrasive at a, at a surface, you get what's called a profile on the steel. And that's right. measured by, um, there's various different measuring methods. Uh, one is a, a wax type tape called Testex tape, and you can measure it with a gauge, um, Defelsco, Alchemeter. They also um, sell surface profile gauges, which will tell you the, the it's the measurement between the highest point and the lowest point of the surface is your anchor profile. Okay. And what that means is there's two types of coating adhesion, right? So coating is adhered two ways. One is mechanically. Um, and that's, and that's how it grasps into those peaks and valleys. And then the other would be chemically. That's the chemical bond formed to the substrate. So you got mechanical adhesion and chemical okay. adhesion when putting in applying coating. So how does the dust, I mean, uh, cost wise, I think garnet's a little bit more than the full slag, maybe some of the other ones. Would you agree with that or is it medium priced? So that's a that's a great point, and we could probably talk on this topic right here alone for at least one hour. <laughs> and um, if you, <laughs> at first glance, yeah, absolutely, it's three to four times the cost. If you look at your landed cost um, for slag or um, any type of slag abrasive versus a a good garnet abrasive, you are going to be looking at probably three times the cost per pound. 
but why on earth would anybody do that? We're all in a business to make money, right? right. So what you'll see, and this, and, and this is with working with any good um, contractor is you're going to use significantly less abrasive and you're going to get significantly further with that abrasive. So your actual cost per square foot, you will find, especially on new steel, is significantly lower per square foot to blast with the good quality garnet than it is with the slag. Although you're paying three times, three to four times the cost for the abrasive, you're, you're going to make that in the in the cleanup cost. Right. You're gonna you're gonna save that in the labor that you pay to get the same amount of steel done, and you're gonna you're gonna save that in how much abrasive you use, especially if you're recycling it. Um, and, and the best way to prove that is to set up a demonstration and, and you, and you, you, you get the equipment, you set up a, you put a hundred pounds in one pot of one abrasive and the other, and you measure how far it goes and how long it goes. And, and then you can put it into a formula. The U S Navy came up and that'll give you a cost per square foot. I'm happy to share that formula. All right, Jeff, do you hear any background noise from me? Cause my husband put the compressor literally right. Oh, I don't hear it. Okay, good. I hope not because it just went on and I can hear it. And I'm like, he's going into the blast room right now. So uh, if it gets weird or whatever, we can cut out. Well, you, you might have to listen to it. I'm a contractor, so my hearing's not very good anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to switch to my headset, but anyways. Yeah. Uh, all right, so, uh, so pretty much Garnet's a good one. Let's move on to full slag and some of the pros and cons of that. Okay. Uh, I know that's cheaper, but it has some other things to it. Sure. So um, when you when you talk about coal slag, you got slag. So there's various different types of slag. There's coal slag. There's nickel slag. There's copper slag. Um, there's several different types of slag, and these are a, a, a byproduct of a smelting process. Um, the pros are they're angular. Um, they cut. They cut very well. Um, they're cost effective. Um, it, it's probably by far slag is the most commonly used abrasive in the industry. Um, right. By far. However, um, that is, that is changing at a rapid rate due to concerns around the abrasive like beryllium, arsenic, chromium. Um, there's a lot of uh, permissible exposure limits to your operator concerns as well as environmental concerns, um, as well as um, embedment. And um, there's some inherent, uh, there's, some, there's some poor qualities to this abrasive that affect the cleanliness of the surface, one being embedment. Do you find that most of the, is it usually mostly outdoor blasting as people that do the full slag or the slag type? Uh, I see it. Yeah. I see it across all sectors, whether it's controlled environment blasting in a booth, whether it's outside in a yard or it's inside of a tank, a ship. Uh, I see it throughout the industry. Um, slag is a very commonly used abrasive. Okay. And so, uh, but in, in terms of recycling, then it's, it's harder to recycle it or it's, you can, well, when they talk recycling now, sure. are they using, are they talking about like environmental recycling or are they talking about reuse? What's the difference or what's the term for that? That's a great point. Um, most people say, can my, can my abrasive be recycled is asking, can I use it more than once? Okay. And um, slag is not intended to be used more than once. Once it, it's, it's dusty enough on the first pass, let alone the second pass, and it's very friable. So when it hits the surface, it, it explodes, it, it breaks down into a very small particle. It's not good for uh, recycling. Um, and that's, that's how most people interp interpret the words recycling. Um, some people can pick that abrasive up and put it into a what we call beneficial reuse, where rather than it going into a landfill, you can use it in uh, pavement or concrete or put it into a different industry. So therefore it's beneficially being reused, but that's not the same as um, recycling. So I found out recently through another interview that um, sometimes when powder coaters are scaling or they're just starting out and the cost of 
getting into sandblasting, although they need it for their jobs, the rest of jobs, sometimes it's just cost prohibitive at the time, you know, uh, or maybe they're working out of their garage or in a small, smaller shop where they just don't have the room. And so they're maybe paying out or outsourcing the power, the, the sandblasting and stuff. Uh, how, what are some of the questions that they want to ask these people? You know, is it some of the same questions that we're asking today um, to make sure that they get the white metal at the end so they, they can move on? Because I, I guess where I'm going with this is rust, right? I mean, how do you know it's very hard to get the rust out? It still exists on a very atomic level or once it's there. Um, and so how, what are some of the best uh, questions to ask if you're going to outsource your blasting? Cost so, sure. So if... You would, you would ask for the class of blast, class and cleanliness of blast. So SSPC um, has classifications, SP1, SP2, all the way through SP10. And um, if you were to want a very good quality of blast, you would ask for an SP10, which is considered a near whitewash blast. It's, it's a, a very common surface um, specification for um, somebody that wants a good clean surface to go back to. That's a great point. Um, okay, so now there's another one on this list. It's called waste slag. Can you talk about that? What is that? I've never heard of it. So waste waste slag would be would be any of the slags I mentioned because they're all basically waste. Okay. Um, whether it's nickel smelting, copper smelting, uh, coal. These are these are the byproducts of that. It's a it's a slag. It's called waste slag. All just grouped in as one. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, so let's move on to silica sand. I'm not sure. Um, I don't think we've ever used it in blasting. Yeah. It's is it common for powder coaters to use silica? Um, it it was. It used to be. However, no one uses silica anymore. Very few people use silica due to the concerns of silicosis. Okay. Um, once silica sand is exploded, it becomes very hazardous to um, your health, and it's outlawed in the United States and, and Europe. And okay. you can actually use it, but by law you can use it, but OSHA frowns upon it seriously, and you have to have controlled measures in place to control the um, exposure limits. And it's so onerous that no one no one risks um exposure to silica silica and silicosis due to that method um, yeah. but silica sand hence the name sandblasting was probably the most commonly used abrasive for the longest time until um it, it became outlawed yeah so um i i'm smiling for a reason because there's a story behind a uh, powder coat, uh, a sandblasting facility here down the street. I think they're, I think they're done now. Uh, yeah. The guy ended up having some health issues, but I'm not kidding you. Um, the guy would take beach sand, sure, and blast it. Now, the reason why he was just going, and it, his facility literally was like down to the beach. Uh, it's just a quarter of a mile where we're at and he, he and the reason why he was using beach sand I believe is because most of the blasting he was doing for people was uh, granite like for uh, cemetery uh, you know plaques I guess yeah headstones headstones thank you sure um, and yeah, so it worked out, I'm sure, fabulously for him. Um, I, it was all outdoor blasting. Yeah. But what ended up, how we ended up getting involved with that is we had a customer that had an older Model T that he was restoring, and he brought his wheels down uh, and used this blaster. Now, we were just getting set up into doing more formal blasting, but hadn't really gotten enough to where we could do this really rusty wheel, um, spoke wheel, of course, because it's a Model T. 
and it was original. And so the guy um, takes it down that we said, okay, as soon as he's done, bring it over to us and we'll get right to powder coating and stuff like that. Well, we didn't know he was using the beach sand that has too much salt and, you know, like all kinds sure. of <laughs> sure. But anyways, yeah. the story goes uh, that the guy went over there, the guy did the job, he puts the wheels in the plastic, in a plastic bag, puts them in the back of his car, and then two weeks later, rolls up into our shop and says, I'm ready. And so we pull it out of the bag, and it is covered Rusted. in rust. I mean, yeah. all of that work was just... But what made it even worse was that he was using beach sand, which was just like forcing the salt back into the metal, making it even more. So in the end, it was even more rusty. I should have taken a picture of it. I mean, it's almost yeah. too good to be true. I guess you bring a good point. Something that I didn't mention is um, silica, or I'm sorry, um, chloride content within the abrasive. So you 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 definitely want to take a look at um, how well somebody cleans their abrasive. So, um, as you learned with the silica sand experience here, it was heavily, uh, high levels of, of salt. And therefore when you, it, you propel it at the surface it impregnates the steel with salt, which is the enemy. Uh, and rather than having a good clean surface, you have a, a salt impregnated steel surface that's going to rust underneath the coating. It was it was off. It was yeah. sad because yeah. I mean, it was a custom, you know, and I don't know what ended. I think Ross ended up doing it um, himself, even though it took just, we, we didn't have enough of facilities at the time, you know, uh, to, so it just was going to take him a lot longer than he had anticipated, which is why we were asking him to go to this other guy because he had a bigger, you know, he had a bigger equipment system and stuff, you know, but in the end, it was just better for us to do it. And anyways, it was just yeah. only in Hawaii. I tell you, only in Hawaii, we have stories <laughs> like that. I don't yeah. think that happens in the Midwest, but whatever. <laughs> okay, so moving on, what was the next one? The next one, what are metallic abrasives? I don't even, what are those? Are those So metallic mean? abrasives could be your steel grit, uh, steel shot. Okay. Um, yep. Okay, makes sense. Um, aluminum oxide, another biggie, uh, people use and yeah, aluminum oxide. Yep. Glass. Yep. Um, what's the, now there's another section here that says hardness, uh, knock scale or loop scale. Is that what we were talking about earlier? So what's so important about the hardness of abrasive? You got a couple different measurements. Hardness will also help with your friability. For, you know, um, some abrasives have minor fissures in them. When they hit the surface, they explode. Some just aren't very hard. Therefore, when they hit the, the surface, they explode. So the harder the abrasive, typically the less dust you'll have. Yeah. The softer okay. abrasive, the more dust you'll have. Is, is, and as well as how effective that abrasive is in cutting. Um, the harder it is, the more angular it is, you're going to get a lot better cut. Ross had a question about crushed glass. Um, he has sure. heard of powder coaters using it um, yeah. for certain kinds of projects. What would be a good project for that? Like, like more of like engine parts and stuff like that, or so what? What I what I find that crushed glass works works well on is concrete. Oh. And and when you're in, incorporating water into the system to suppress dust, and a lot of people will use water when they blast concrete to suppress the silica in the concrete and to, and suppress the dust. But I found that um, crushed glass is a good abrasive to use when you're blasting concrete if you're not running steel grit or steel shot. That could be the answer that I was asking about earlier about this client that's having in today where he wants to take, he's got basalt, he has a basalt project and we get a lot of calls just for sandblasting, especially now that we're in this more centralized location. So I'll have to, I'll have to look into that when our, or we'll have to talk after more about that. Sure. Um, okay, so let's see what else we covered all of that. Let's move on to 
you've got a uh, you've got a blog post here about plastic ventilation. Or is there anything else you want to talk about before I move on to this subject? Is there anything else? Did we cover everything about media? I mean, you have a lot. You oh, we could spend. Yeah, I mean, we could spend a long time talking about uh, about media and the differences in it. Um, I think at the end of the day, when you when you look at the abrasive, I mean, we could t literally talk for hours. I don't want to geek out on it too much, but um, it, it's all project driven specific. So I think you would look at the project and, and that's something that we do real well is we'll look at your project as a whole and we can help select equipment, select abrasive and, and have the conversation of why why we're saying that. Um, so I think not there is no one abrasive that's the silver bullet for everything therefore we have you know we have abrasives for different things so there's walnut there's soda there's dry ice um and then you have your metallic abrasives your silica sand which is gone you know silica sand is a thing of the past but uh crushed glass aluminum oxide garnet um each place has a home that it works very well here's a message from today's sponsor Ross Coat here from Maui Powder Works. You know, we've been providing customers with high-end custom coatings for over 20 years. We love the powder coating business, making auto parts, patio furniture, and stuff beautiful for our customers is the fun part. As you know, the hardest part of any job is getting parts prepped for finishing. At times, this means removing tough industrial OEM coatings which can take hours, if not days, of chemical stripping and sandblasting. Our business was revolutionized when we discovered the great strippers from Benco Sales. Their customer service folks asked the right questions and recommended a stripper tailored for our needs. Give them a call today at 1-800-632-3626. And do you have powder coaters that actually have like multiple systems and multiple different kinds of media that they use for their jobs and stuff. I mean, we're small, we're yeah. small potatoes over here, but so one is really all we can afford to. Yeah. To so depending on the size and scale of a, a shop, some people will have a wheelbarrow machine that uses steel grit and, and shot. Uh, some people will have a steel grit booth and we find that garnet is a very good abrasive for powder coaters because it's so versatile you can use you can use garnet on ferrous and non-ferrous metals where you cannot use your metallic abrasives on aluminum right. so it opens up your bandwidth with one abrasive and you don't have and the recyclability is high steel grit has a very very high recyclability however um, you can't use it on aluminum you can't use it on surface on, on certain metals that you can or projects that you can use garnet on like fiberglass or are aluminum or some of your more sens uh, sensitive substrates. So a good all-around recyclable abrasive for a shop is is um, probably garnet. A lot of people use slag, um, but we talked a bit about the disadvantages of slag for uh, surface cleanliness. It has a lot of embedment. Um, environmental concerns is getting it can be very expensive to get rid of because of uh, the the contents in the abrasive. And it can also lead to there. There's a heightened look of OSHA uh, strict made a more strict beryllium rule, and a lot of these abrasive slag abrasives have beryllium in it. So your permissible exposure limits really have to be monitored. So uh, let's move on to this blasting ventilation uh, blog post, which we will put in the links uh, on YouTube and and the episode. Um, it, there's some do's and don'ts, um, in terms of where the intake is, right? Uh, in this, there's four principles that you're going off of here to create a safer enclosed environment. Um, where do we want to start with this? You tell me. You've got a little, I think there's a little, uh, if I click over here, you've got at the bottom here, you've got a guy, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, graphic here where you've got a guy in, in the suit and 
they're talking about the dust containment and he's in this enclosed Kim. Uh, area Kim. here. And that's pretty much the takeaway with the blog post here. I mean, there's a lot of other little details, but it's really important. I think the blog post was saying that it's really important to uh, keep because the dust kind of rises it doesn't fall to the ground, right? The heavier particulates fall to the ground. The dust rises, so you actually want to put the intake uh, up high. Yeah, so you want to have, uh, uh, ideally, it's you want to have, ideally, yeah, ideally, you want to have your air coming in high and exhausting low. Right, and let's talk about the, I guess, the intensity of your. Um, or how much you're moving that dust out of there and filtration. This is where I'm getting really murky because I'm not a, a SAM last. Okay. So help me out. <laughs> sure. So um, you you want to have enough air changes to support your environment. So you want to make sure you have the proper um, CFM dust collection to support the airflow of the space. So that's a form. Is that a formula, or is that how do you do? You have a calculator. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna edit this because I gotta look. There oh, is a formula. Okay. It's just a podcast. Um, it's a conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it's funny because we just had a prime insight on this the other day. There, there is a, there is um, there is a. calculation for that. Let me see if I can find it. I think there was one on this handout that we were using. Uh, so I believe you take the length of the booth. Again, we'll probably, I'll probably want to verify this if this is something you're, you'll yeah, take the length of the length of the booth times the height of the booth and times it by 10. For instance, let me make sure if that makes sense. 100 foot long by 30 foot tall would be 3,000 times 100. Yeah. So you take the length of the you take the length of your booth times the height of your booth, and then you times that by 10, or times that by uh, 100, and and you'll get the CFM you need to, to pull enough air across that area. So for instance, if you had a 100 foot long by 30 foot tall, you'd have a 3000 times 100. You would need a, um, I'm sorry, times 10, not 100 times 10. You would need a 30,000 CFM uh, dust collector. So you take the length times the height times 10, and that's how you would calculate the size of your, your um, fan, your, your, Dust collector. That really zeroes in on what kind of equipment you're going to buy or need, um, as well as if you've got like a 3,000 foot blast room. I mean, you can't. <laughs> that was the thing that we have is we have like a 20, a 20 foot by 10 foot uh, blast room that Ross just finished building. Um, and he's working on a 300 pound pot. Well, it's, it gives him part of it is he's only really working in half of that room. Um, and he's got a, sure. he's taken some plastic like sheeting and put a curtain up there so that he kind of contains it a little tighter in space to keep it like less of a cleanup in the end of the day. Uh, but also we store a lot of stuff in there that we're going to be, you know, so we need that extra room for a lot of other reasons, but he's still working with a 300 pound pot. And I think he has to cycle it out every 20 minutes. But I know that the pot size is, is also uh, a time saver. You want to talk about that for a second? Too? What is that? The, the size of the pot. Um, sure is a time saver because it's less time refilling, especially yeah. if you something yeah. like Barney. Yeah, so so for instance, in a powder coating environment, we'll nor we, we typically see six and a half cubic foot, which are considered 600 pound pots. And um, 
Yeah, you you raise a good point. Um, the longer that abrasive and the further you get with it lasts, the less you're going to have to handle it and move it. If you're doing a very large project where you got multiple operators, you'll get a much larger pot, like a, a eight ton or 160 cubic foot. But most commonly used in, in blast booths um, are six and a half or 10 cubic foot pots. And you can have them fully automated to where um, you have a difference between pressure hold and pressure release. Some pots have a pressure release. So every time you trigger on and off, you can have a storage hopper above your pot that automatically fills your pot if you have a, a reclamation system. Or if you have a pressure hold system, it, it, it stays pressurized as long as you have air going to it. And um, most common size in a powder coat would be a, a 6.5 cubic foot. I think you mentioned you guys are using a 3.5. Um, so that would be on the, on the smaller scale. Using, using GMA garnet, or I, I believe you're using GMA garnet, you should see if you get that, it, depending on what kind of project you're working on, I like to see that last you between 30 to 45 minutes. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, it's, it's one of those kind of things that it just depends. I guess it's a kind of like a pain, pain reliever kind of thing. You know, equipment can be a pain reliever. Uh, to being in a room in a box for longer than you need to. And I guess it's up to the individual comfort level. I mean, maybe guys like being in that sweaty box for longer <laughs> than they need. Maybe they enjoy it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's not necessarily my husband's favorite part of powder coating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, some people are blasting for eight hours a day, every day. I I it's know. a heck of a job. Me, I would get kind of noited out in a box, but you know, you can kind of let go of your stresses, I guess, when you're in a box and you're by yourself or whatever, and uh, just forget about the world, I guess. <laughs> maybe, maybe some more so these days than not. Um, I like this part on your website, and that is you actually offer services to come out and, and it's kind of going back to what you do all day. You're traveling and yeah. you're going to these people's places and you're making sure that they're doing it optimally. And is that like a paid service or is that a free service? How do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a great question. So um, we, if, if, as long as someone's in our service area and they have a, um, an outside, um, account representative for their company um most of our outside sales representatives will absolutely come out and do that at no charge it's called a health check we'll come out we'll take a look at so and it's a great way to get to know get to know the company and see if there's anything there we can do to help improve or change or improve their lives or their daily lives you know we do we do this every day if we could save somebody 10 minutes every day or make it a little bit easier we we look at that so yes we will we are happy to come out um within our service area and and um do a health check and look at the equipment and the operations and give it an audit awesome. and it makes it like i mean you said you were a family company and that it's privately owned and i think that that just makes me uh want to buy from you guys more <laughs> yes because it kind of people can relate to that a lot of small businesses hurting right now and um it's nice that you have you know you were probably doing this way before COVID-19 but I mean it's nice to know that you have all of that in place to really support your customers and give them everything they need um and stuff. I really like the videos. I thought that I was surprised that you were guys around YouTube. I mean, that's amazing. Um, yeah. And sometimes, you know, with YouTube, it's hard unless you actually know what you're typing in or uh, to get what it is that you want. You wouldn't necessarily go. I wouldn't think to know you uh, to type in something about sandblasting and find it on YouTube. And I don't know how well you're ranking in YouTube because that's part of it too, right? They want the rock stars and the automotive guys and you know all of those custom guys on there getting the rankings. But still, I mean, it's nice to know that you have this technical level that people can really. And I think that 
the other problem is it's a lot a lot of us powder coders it's hard to find the forums are not as active as they used to be when we first started getting into powder coding a lot of it's switching over to uh, more instantaneous answers like Facebook groups and stuff like that. Um, that's where a lot of people are ending up just because they want that answer right now. And if they can ask the question, somebody can, you know, and that's why the podcast really tries to bring in people like you that are industry insiders to kind of clarify and maybe answer those questions once and for all, where they can just listen in and get everything they need. Um, so that's why when I saw the resource there and the YouTube videos and stuff, it's really nice to have that at your disposal. So you don't have to rely on other busy powder coders to answer your questions. You know, I mean, it's a social thing too on Facebook, but um, it's nice to know that if you really want the, the right answer, uh, you better go to an expert. Yeah, I'd like to think that we we got we got you guys covered. Whether it's um, for building blast booths and the facility side or the actual operational side, we got we got four or five generations of blasters in the family, so it's great. Yeah, I mean, there's probably not one question you guys can't answer for sure. Um, so, but I, you know what? It's funny because we I went over to your safety equipment. Now, do you guys sell? the suits as well or i know you've got the hoods sure you guys sell the suits too because i didn't see yeah yeah that. yep so we 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 supply anything for the personal protection side for blasting or painting absolutely from fresh air hoods to nylon and even leather blasting suits air conditioners um tear off lenses uh gloves used and retired inventory yep on that. that's great yep people are always looking to scale up or scale down or whatever yeah that's interesting i mean it just goes on and on <laughs> yeah there's so much stuff on the site and you make it so easy to to read too i mean some people's websites are just they're all over the place um oh there it is okay helmets okay got it you see the little blasting equipment so let's talk about a little bit more about uh the dust part in the sense as we wrap up um you know you and i talked a little bit before about making sure that you stay healthy while you're doing this and it's not just you know, it's it's not just the approach to sandblasting, it's also the equipment that you're using. And how do you um, how do you know if you're being healthy? Where obviously there's OSHA stuff too, we know that, but um, how do you know you know that you're being healthy and that you're not breathing in uh, bad air? So that's a great question. Um, there's there's what you call grade D breathing air, and that's most commonly what you would want if you're in a fresh air hood situation. So you would want to make sure that you have um, clean, dry, breathable air, grade D air, and you would want to make sure that you didn't have uh, water, carbon monoxide, um, in all the four gases we measure for. So you can get a four gas alarm that measures for four, the four poisonous gases that you do want to make sure that you're not breathing. Um, make sure that you have proper oxygen and um, ensure that your clean, your, your breathing air is clean and healthy for the operator. So um, that's why Ross went for the electric model instead of like the diesel or the monoxide that happens a lot. People are breathing that monoxide back in. That's not good. Absolutely. So in between, so you're, if you're, if your air is supplied from either like a pump or you may run it off your main compressor, you're going to want to put that through a breathing box, a breathing filter. So that, that air coming off of your supply, whether it's a compressor or a pump, would need to go into a breathing box that has a, a carbon filter in it. And then that will clean your air. And then you would want to use a breathing line to a fully respirated hood. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's the personal protective side, but then it also comes 
what comes into big play is your ventilation. It's a, it's a twofold approach. You don't want to stand in a stagnant, stale, dusty environment um, in a breathing hood. It's still, still at high risk of coming into your suit. So you want to have good ventilation and airflow in your booth, in your work, in, in your work environment, and you also want to have fresh, good breathing air. Yeah, I think that's why Ross made the blast booth bigger this time. I mean, it, he made it bigger for a couple reasons, more for less dust and more area and space, uh, but also enough to blast bigger things. It just seems like people are bringing us bigger things these days, um, whereas before we had it all, going all over the place. Uh, but this has been such an informative thing. and. I would love to have you back. I really want you, I'm gonna beg you to come back actually because we didn't even get into equipment today. Uh, we didn't get into any of that stuff, but I know before I leave, before we leave, I know let's talk about just one thing. And so I see a lot of this question a lot is the nozzle size and the air pressure, right? I, I'm sorry. The nozzle size. Let's talk about the nozzle size sure. and, the, and the air pressure. And Absolutely. It's what's optimal for maybe powder coaters or. Okay. Great question. Yeah. So when you look at your nozzle side, you have what's called your orifice, and that's the measurement of the nozzle size. And, and according to that size, you'll base how much air you need to, to supply to that nozzle to get the proper abrasive. Um, speed and velocity when hitting the surface. But you also look at it um, at how large scale your project is. If, it's, if, if you're working on a really fine piece of metal that has a lot of angles or a spoke wheel that is very intricate, uh, you're gonna use a much smaller nozzle than you would use on if you're blasting hundreds of square feet for production on flat steel. So you would look at the project in of itself and say, okay, um, do I need a production nozzle here or do, do I need something more intricate to really get into the fine areas? So a good all around uh, nozzle for, for a powder coating shop is probably a number six. Okay. Yeah, three eighths orifice. All right. Yep. Yeah, I see that question practically every day in the groups and stuff. It, thank you for saying that because now people can listen in and write it down or whatever. Um, yeah. And you got to make sure too, the larger your orifice size or your nozzle size, the mm -hmm. more air in CFM that requires to, to, to power it at the correct PSI. So, how, so how does the media, if that you have you a really small air compressor, right? Yeah. <laughs> like the one that's, <laughs> yeah. So you may say, Hey, I, I have a lot of work to be done here, but, um, I have a small air compressor. I only have 185 CFM or well, you'd want to pick a tip that you could get the nozzle pressure up to 100 PSI using a 185. So you'd have a good abrasive velocity to really cut and clean. And, and we could touch on this very quickly because I think it's interesting. For every one PSI at the nozzle above 100, you gain 1.5%. And, and this is a sliding scale. It does move. But in theory, it's 1.5% productivity. And that scale goes both ways. So for instance, for every one PSI over 100, you gain 1.5% uh, production. And every one PSI under 100, you lose 1.5% productivity. So if your nozzle pressure is at 90 versus 100, that's 15% more cutting production you're gonna lose every hour. So that's how critical it is to um, pair the right size nozzle with your air compressor to ensure you have that speed. If you one of the things we'll do is we'll go into a shop and we'll measure their nozzle pressure. If they're at 80 and we can get them to a hundred, we just left that customer getting them 30% more productivity in their shop every day, every hour they blast. I mean, can you imagine the difference of 30%? I mean, it's a huge, that's 30%. A huge, it's huge. huge. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I can tell now he's taking a break because this thing isn't rattling all the time, right? You know. I heard it click on the last time. <laughs> <laughs> why? 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 Put it right behind my wall. I don't know. But um, actually, I know. But, um, you know, the one thing is I wanted to get away from that thing, and it ended up being right behind my door anyways. 
anyways, that's just the way the shop works. But uh, I think that's a really valid point. And because that's the way equipment is, it's like you have to give on one end. If you want to maximize this, then, you know, that now relates back to the compressor and how hard it's working, Um, your air, you know, your air intake and, and the, you know, all, it's a big giant formula, right. Um, and how to, how to maximize all of your equipment. And that's the thing that's just, you know, with powder coating and any business, uh, mechanical business or manufacturing business, it's always about the equipment. And, you know, sometimes I think, um, people tend to be less, uh, interested in the health aspects or the being the safe on the job than they do the equipment. Um, and other times, you know, it's uh, how important the equipment is to maintaining the, the health and well-being of their employees. And it's just a fine balance. So it's nice to know that you guys can help out in that, you know, or at least answer questions about it if they have it or have some resource online that talks about it. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been great. Um, no, cat. Let's okay. Let's back up and say thank you for joining us. But uh, if you're interested in learning more about sandblasting and air compressors, media, dust collection, and more, uh, where can they find you? Blastone.com. Yes, Blastone.com. I think you've cruised the website and realized and and experienced that there's just a, a ton of information there. You can get plugged in. Um, there's phone numbers on the website to get plugged in with your local representative and your field support and, um, have them out, have someone come out, get to know, get to know blast one. And I'm not sure if you guys are running any promotions or anything like that. I know there was a page there. You could go to sign up for promotions. Do you happen to have any, or what are they typically if you have them? We're constantly running promotions. This month is actually on instruments for, for DeFelsco instruments for um, inspection. Um, but we're always having um, um, specials and promotions on breathing and blasting and, and nozzles and things of that, uh, of that nature. This month, it happens to be on instruments for, for uh, inspection. So I don't know how, how relevant that would be to, to whom uh, is, is on this episode, right. but um, if that is, it, it's on special this month and we're and always guys, having them, just check in. Do you guys deliver by truck, air? How do you usually ship equipment? Um, we do all of the above. Okay. Depending on um, location where you're at. Like you guys, it would either be air or, or a boat. Yeah. <laughs> and six weeks out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So order early. Um, yeah. Okay. That's good to know. And you, you can just, you have like an online cart, you can just pick and choose or is it more of a formal? Oh, great question. We are not e-commerce yet. Okay. Uh, we are moving toward that platform, but sure. yeah. that is a, that is exciting. Probably 2021 initiative where, where that will be live. But for now you got to do it the good old fashioned way and talk to somebody or order it online. Yeah. Anti up yeah. because it costs a lot to have an e-commerce site. Yeah, know? it sure does. Yeah, it does. Then you, but you can promote it easier when you have it all online yeah. and stuff and, and everything. But we're all moving in that direction. I think some of the larger companies are. Uh, okay, now's the chance we're going to ask a compelling question to our viewers, our listeners out there. What media are you using and why are you using it? Um, so that's our question, and uh, hopefully we'll get some answers. Uh, and what are some of the troubleshooting questions? Let's just throw that in there. Like, if you guys have a question, put it in the comments uh, or share it on, you know, share it to me on a post on Facebook or whatever, and I'll get it over to Jeff to answer it. How's that sound? Great. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for following us, and I hope today's topic has uh, inspired you to have a better powder coating system, a better powder coating business. Have a great day, and aloha.